0: The UMP market, if you look at from a marketplace perspective, uh, is, is massive. If you look, for example, on the product searches online, if you look uh, in the UK, Germany, France, Italy, Spain, over 50% of the product searches start, for example, on Amazon. In some cases, just 35%, they go to Google, they go to YouTube, they go to Instagram or other channels. So if you want to start selling cross-border, you need to enter it to a marketplace because people there are basically looking for a product.
1: Hello and welcome to the Ecom Ops Podcast. We believe that there is more than enough content focused on e-commerce marketing and not enough content celebrating the real heroes of e-commerce, those running the operation. Each week, we find and interview an e-commerce operations expert to share the secrets behind how some of this industry's most exciting businesses are run. I'm your host, Norbert Strapler, the CEO of SingSpider. Hello and welcome to another Ops podcast. Today, I'm talking to Steph, and he is a real Amazon marketplace expert. I'm also happy that I am the first one in here that says the new company name Operator 101 they take care for you when you are going on the
0: marketplaces but hey Steph welcome to the show let's introduce yourself thank you thank you Norbert nice nice to be here yeah my name is Steph from the Netherlands I'm making a call from Italy we are a European operator and making sure that any brand can scale to its maximum potential awesome wow that, that that's a quick one but
1: i need to mention you have over 13 years of experience with 13 uh, t- 13, 13, 13. Yeah, 13, we need to take care of the, those european guys and the pronunciations okay 13 years yeah. of experience selling across the marketplaces uh, in europe and america yes indeed but our specialism or my specialism is mainly europe yeah perfect and of course a preferred partner of amazon yes yeah very important and you played the roles of manufacturers and distributors, and you can handle them all. Tell us a bit more about your company. What are you actually doing?
0: Well, everybody wants to start selling and uh, selling this cross-border. But the reality is that basically nobody really does it. So as an example, I'm from the Netherlands, and if I want to start selling in Germany, I need a customer support that speaks German. I need a culture writer that translates, translates the, the product pages on, uh, in the local language with keyword research. I need a local VAT number to be able to store products in Germany. So, I need a warehouse, I need a logistical network. So, you need quite a large operation just to start sending in a new country. But obviously, when you start sending in a new country, you're not going to have uh, revenues in the beginning or not too much to pay salaries or enough work to hire people. So, basically, what we do is we designed an operational infrastructure. And uh, we call it IELTS, Amazon Infrastructure as a Service. And basically, we, with one partner, we make sure that you can immediately start selling cross-border on a professional level.
1: Awesome. So you recommend the warehouses and the requirements that need to be done to be able to sell there. You support those people. Is this correct?
0: No, we, we designed the whole infrastructure around marketplaces in Europe. Wow. And then we say for the price of uh, half FTE, you get 30 FTE that are all busy with all the local activities. So we do everything in-house. We don't outsource. and uh, We are really the external operational partner that does everything and to boost your business. Uh, this or, uh, is really cool.
1: Wow. A lot of work on your table then. What
0: motivated you to dive into that sector? I've been doing this already for 13 years. I believe that a business should be borderless. When I started thirteen years ago, uh I wanna start selling, for example, international. I needed to fly to France to make an agreement with La Poste. I needed to fly to the UK to make a deal with Royal Mail. And nowadays I can just go to DHL, for example, say I want to have a European delivery network. That what does that mean? That means that the borders are getting, let's say, thinner and thinner. That also means that the competition is growing, yeah. right? In the beginning, if you were from from Host, let's say if you look at completely back. If you had a company that was selling televisions and uh, you had a store, uh, you didn't really care if there was a smaller competitor 50 kilometers away or 100 kilometers away. So the market was quite, let's say, strong or, let's say, stable. Then obviously, the internet came. And then you had a smart entrepreneur that was picking away all the businesses from uh, all those local entrepreneurs. So basically, if you look at how many people are living in, uh, in Austria? Around about 9 million. Nine million. Okay. So basically you started competing with all the entrepreneurs and nine million from, let's say nine million people. And now if you look at on the European level, it's like 740 million entrepreneurs. So I believe that you need to have a borderless business to be able to compete with the smarter entrepreneurs that are basically everywhere, but was mostly working in those years as interim manager. So I was working inside companies to develop that infrastructure to start selling bo- borderless, but it is a complete mindset, right? From all the company, from all the layers within an organization. And basically nobody really wants to change because specifically within e-commerce, the the service level is huge. So people always expect if you buy something for for €50 Euro or for €5,000, they expect the same service. So it's quite a complex thing to really develop that. And then basically I said, okay, why don't I design the infrastructure from zero? And instead of going from project to project, I'm just going to offer it to companies so they don't need to do such complex investment in-house. And that's basically how O1 basically got, let's say, that's the background. And that's why we are developing and offering the solution. That's really
1: great. Very interesting. So let's say I'm selling on Amazon already. I'm in the German marketplace, for instance, and I want to go in anti-Europe or maybe US. At right. what time and which, with which products
0: do I come to you? This is actually an interesting one. What the majority of the people do when you think, okay, I want to start selling international. So from the Netherlands, you think I will go to Germany. Probably Germans will think I will go to France because it's the next largest neighbor country. But I uh, always say, okay, forget about making decisions from your comfort zone. You're more easy to attract somebody that speaks English, for example. So let's go to, to the UK. Something really, something what a lot of US companies basically do. You want to go to Europe and then they used to go always to the UK because it was more easy. The first thing that I say, okay, let's start with doing some market research where your biggest market is one and also where there is room for market. So maybe from a revenue perspective, your category is the biggest, but also maybe from a competitor's perspective is also the biggest. So let's start first figuring out where there is room for your products. And you actually also have the margins to run the business. And then you calculate back, okay, in which country I should launch first. So you basically calculate back what should be your roadmap. So the analytic and strategic approach
1: and really just, yeah, figure out the numbers and do your homework first.
0: Do your homework first, please. Don't start because you know someone that speaks, for example, from the Netherlands. or I have someone that speaks German. Let's go to Germany. That's not the right uh, way to, to do it. But unfortunately, that is actually the most common way. People, The company starts from a comfort zone to see what is the most easy, to be actual accessible market, instead of what is actually my biggest market and where can I make money. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how does it work? So I come to you and say, hey, I want to sell
1: in UK. You say, okay, numbers are good. That seems like a market. Uh, what are the next steps?
0: Yeah, exactly. If you want to say, for example, in the UK, that you need to be able to make sure you need to make sure you can sell in uh, UK. So you need to make sure your product labeling is in the right language according to local law. And you want to make sure you are compliant for the local law. For example, your manual needs to be in the local language. And you need to have a local return address. You need for sure need to also have a warehouse. And to be able to s- store products in the UK, you also need a UK VAT number. So you need to find an accountant in the UK, but that will do the company registration so you want to make sure you are, from an operational and a fiscal perspective you are ready to start sending and that is the first thing you need to focus on before you can actually start thinking about sending stock to the uk mm. and what's the typical turnaround
1: time when you start a new country how long does it typically take if you have no experience
0: it could take a year mm. If you have a lot of experience it can take you a matter of weeks why because you actually know who to call what to ask and how to negotiate the contract okay
1: really cool do you have any success stories in mind i think people are really interested in
0: seeing does it really work out and will I really i i think after uh, launching over 100 brands over the last uh, decade i think We shouldn't focus too much on our typical success story. I think we should focus on actually the the market itself. The UMP market, if you look at from a marketplace perspective, uh, is is massive. If you look, for example, on the product searches online, if you look uh, in the UK, Germany, France, Italy, Spain, over 50% of the product searches start, for example, on Amazon. So the other, uh, let's say, in some cases, just 35%, they go to Google, they go to YouTube, they go to Instagram or other channels. So if you wanna start selling cross-border, you need to enter it to a marketplace because people there are basically looking for a product. I think marketplaces as more as a product search engine than just only as a retailer. But if you do, develop it correctly, then the, the the market is massive because everybody thinks, okay, I want to go to the U.S. because obviously there's one country that speaks three that has three hundred million consumers. In the U.K. Uh, in Germany, there are like what eighty-three million people living there. Yeah. In Germany, and then you have U.K. France, Italy, and Spain, all around 60, 65, 58 million uh, consumers. So the market, your future market, for sure, is for sure cross-border. And then if you do that correctly, you're able to scale good. You can make good money. In the beginning of this podcast, what I said, 98% of the companies are not selling cross-border. So that means you have a lot of local heroes. So you can be a local hero today, being very happy. But what I also said, the borders are getting thinner and thinner and thinner. So the ones that are actually going cross-border will, in general, generate more resources to be able to buy the local heroes. So from that perspective, strategic perspective, your future market will be there. But also, it's the only way how you want to make sure that you're going to be a success story also in the
1: future. Got it. Great. Thank you so much. What would you say? I mean, if I'm already selling successfully, I can just enable another marketplace especially in the same continent so let's say i'm in europe i'm starting on germany marketplace i can easily enable some other marketplaces in europe as well and just ship the goods there from right my local position so from let's say austria or germany or when i'm sitting in italy from italy why should i need or why should i make a, a representation in another country with a, a warehouse and the goods there
0: because the main reason is you want to have a local experience. Mm-hmm. The client from Denmark or from Spain or from Germany wants to have the idea he's buying something locally. So next day delivery, uh, I can go to the local post office to return it. When I send an email to a customer spot, I'm going to get uh, uh, return back in German within 24 hours. It's all about customer experience online. And if you do not provide that service, your and the competitors that are doing so, they will generate more positive reviews and more sales. So on the long term, again, you will be losing against the ones that uh, are doing it on a more professional level. So I think that should be the main reason why you need to approach it from that perspective.
1: Yeah, and we see it more and more that the buyers actually really look at where are the goods coming from? Am I buying on a local business? They, Of course, they are looking at the price and, and everything and maybe are very... Lazy when they come to to buy products, but a lot of them are meanwhile really looking for that. If, if they buy a local, if it's a short way to get these goods and don't ship packages across the world, <laughs> but have more more streamlined processes.
0: If you look, for example, how people look online for a product when using a marketplace, they have three basic searching for product. most best sold, because you can filter it, or most positive reviews, or cheapest price. Mm-hmm. Cheapest price is not a strategy. You will lose because there's always somebody with a bigger pocket or Asian companies that are just being able to get all kinds of benefits. So you will not win on price. If you have that strategy, you're going to have a lot short-term business and you need to continuously launch new products to win there. So what's then the objective? Best sold and most positive reviews. How do you get uh, positive reviews when basically the operation is done well? Because the majority of the product reviews, if you check them, it's about the customer experience and logistics. So if you don't figure that out, then you're not going to be on page one where people are looking for most positive reviews. And again, if you have the most positive reviews, you're also generating more sales. The products that are on product page one for both ways of searching are often uh, similar. Yeah, that's a very interesting
1: fact. And I fully agree, the price is not everything anymore. Yeah, It's really... There, and I can also tell you, I'm talking a lot to, to people about, about how are they buying. And a lot of them are telling me they are checking for reviews. And, and that's really a, a very big factor that you get then the reviews from the customers. How do you ensure that that end users are finally doing a review? Do you ask for that? Is there
0: something you recommend to your customers? yeah there are all kinds of tools to stimulate it Uh, also practical solutions such as putting a paper in the box Uh, you need to check per sales channel what you are allowed from that those different uh, sales channels but that's definitely something that should be part of your strategy uh following um, the reviews for example if you have reviews about uh, that the experience of the product is not what Let's say reflects what was written about the product. Then you need to change the product text. If you have a lot of recurring questions about the product, you need to you can add that point in your FAQ on your product page. So there are all kinds of ways to start slowly stimulating your reviews. It's not gonna be a fast business. So from okay, I have now zero reviews, one at fifty in a month. It's a long-term uh, approach, um, but you can, let's say, use your same strategy and tools and approach for all your catalog. Okay, thank you. What does a typical day of an Amazon operator or accelerator look like? There are different teams, different departments with different responsibilities. I think one of the first things we want to make sure is everything viable. A product page is live. What's happening from a stock perspective or logistical perspective? And then you have to. uh, So there is a lot of ongoing dialogues between the operations team and the performance teams that makes that all want to make sure that from an operation perspective everything goes smoothly. The performance team always looks, can I do more to stimulate the sales? And do we also have the right stock, for example, to do all those activities? So there's always a lot of fighting, honestly. (laughs) But on a good Mm -hmm. way, I don't mind having discussions at the office. I actually encourage it. Because you have the commercial team and the operational team. And the commercial team also wants to grow, while the operational teams, we can't. (laughs) You need to first have this thing in order. So I think that is the way how we are actually fighting every day, making sure that there is an increase in sales, because also uh, people are listening here about, okay, how can I start sounding international? And I find it important, but the only thing they want to know, can I make money? So when we talk to our clients, we talk about growth, competitors, market development. We're not going to go into detail what the VET level was in Germany in this specific product. They want to know what they don't really want to know, right? They want to know more about what are we able to do tomorrow to increase the sales. I think that is a recurring subject that any company should be asking, how can we grow, at least if you have a big ambition to grow.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good. And actually, in e-commerce, we are all firefighters in real. <laughs> that's for sure yeah. too. What are the few things you wish more brands to knew before they attempt into a new international market?
0: The most important things is knowing your margins. Uh, there are a lot of variable costs. There is no such thing as a European price strategy. You need a whole local approach. Mm-hmm. So I think knowing your margins and uh, understanding uh, market differences from an operational perspective, yep. and also let's say legal perspective, important. Just to make sure you have a sustainable business. Mm-hmm. Great, thank you.
1: Last question for today, Steph. And it's always the same. Who has taught you the most about e-commerce in your career?
0: I was actually thinking about that, about that question quite actively because I also liked it as one of the most. I liked it as a question in general. I don't want to say, sound arrogant, but it's myself. And why? Because I continuously am making mistakes. And I don't mind making mistakes. So I think I have a lot of influencers that I follow. For example, Martin Hebel. I really like his approach uh, to things. But I think as an entrepreneur, you need to understand if, if the, for the entrepreneurs here, but also let's say all the young professionals, you need to feel a lot. And then only when you feel a lot, you're going to start learning. So you need to really put yourself out there, and when you do that. Then you will be surprised how much you are able to develop. So go outside your comfort zone. I really love that one.
1: Making mistakes is really so important. And to take the information of the mistake, what you did and to learn from that is really helpful. Thanks for that, Andre. It's the first time. Yeah. And, uh, I heard much and this one is really one of the best. I love that. It was really a pleasure talking to you guys. If you think about expanding your sales area and going to other markets, take a look, analyze the markets, check where you go, do your homework. I think it's uh, very important to really understand the numbers first before you even put a the foot there and uh, create a company or ship the goods there. Homework unfortunately is always something that we really need to do before we do anything. And yeah, try it. I think it's better to really try it and see the growth in some other countries coming in than to just say, no, I'm afraid. I I don't want to do that. So don't fear that. So many companies and people showed it already that it works. Selling international works. And I think that's the best thing to grow if you already are very strong on your market. Thanks so much, Steph. You're welcome. And thanks so, for inviting me. Yeah, you're welcome. And if you liked it, don't miss the next episode. See you then. And that's it for this episode of the EcomOps Podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for Ecom Ops Podcast in your favorite podcast listening app, and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time.